right, everybody, welcome to Hangout Talks. And today, this season, as you probably already realized that we are focusing on local small businesses here in Colorado. And these are the places that we actually visited. So it's not just, let me go find, or Peter and I go find on the internet. It's where we actually visited. And now digging into more of their backstory, we want to shine more light onto that and how everything came to be. And today, special guest, Hap Cameron, a native New Zealander who was a travel writer at 21, had a goal to live and work on all seven continents of the world before his 30th birthday. He then settled down in Denver, Colorado and opened America's first New Zealand style creamery, Happy Cones Co. With the philosophy of everyone leaves happier, which is a great philosophy to have. Absolutely. And we hope you leave Hangout Talks happier too. And let's welcome <laughs> Hap. How are you, Hap? Doing good, doing good, fellas. Thanks, thanks, thanks for having me. Of course. Hey, hopefully, hopefully, after having you on this podcast, everyone leaves a little bit happier, especially knowing a little bit more about your story and uh, and happy cones. Awesome, yeah. And going to get some ice cream because this is the weather. <laughs> Colorado transitioning finally. They gave us a little tease of you know spring mm-hmm. and then took us back to winter, but now it's going to spring summer feel. So. Everybody's got to be showing up and leaving this with a cone mm-hmm. of ice cream. Once you go to Happy Cones, want to do that. And um, of course, I mentioned briefly about your background and your goal of all seven continents. But uh, yeah, if you can tell the audience and everybody hanging out with us a little bit more about your journey and how that everything came to be. Yeah. So as far as like the working the world journey, um, when I was 21, I grew up in New Zealand. So my first 21 years I spent in New Zealand. And I just graduated from university um, in New Zealand. And then I did, um, and I didn't really know what I wanted to do, you know. Um, I did like a marketing management degree. Um, And during my second year of university, I went over to Australia. It was pretty much my first time leaving New Zealand. I went to Australia and I just worked in a factory um, sanding wood. Um, And it doesn't sound, sound that glamorous. And Australia is also very similar to New Zealand in regards to culture and language and all that. But I just loved it. eh? I just loved being in a different country and just loved, um, you know, no one knew who I was and just experiencing these little little things. So when I went back to my third year of college, I decided that I wanted to kind of travel the world and see see more of the world. So after I graduated, I then did a three week outward bound course. And part of this outward bound course is they throw you in the bush or in, in the forest, you know, for three days. They just drop you off at midnight with no flashlight. They give you a pen and paper and rations. So you're there with yourself for like three days. And it was there that I wrote myself the goal that I wanted to live and work in all the continents of the world before I was 30. Because I had student debt and I wanted to see the whole world. So I wrote that on a bit of paper there. And man, like four months later, having never really left Australia, having never left Australasia, I flew to Seoul, South Korea um, to teach English and was there for like a year and a half. And from there on, the journey continued. I taught taught business in Spain. So when I was in Korea, I met a really wealthy family. The dad was German. The mother was Korean. They had a son who had just been kicked out of a Swiss private school. So I tutored him in Korea. And then they said, hey, fly to Spain, live in our mansion, and um, be his tutor for his school studies. So that's how I left Seoul, South Korea, flew to Spain, and lived in this, like, three-storied mansion. They had, like, private jet, like, you know, like, massive, like, 
massive super yacht. It was like a whole nother level. I had my own maid. It was crazy. And that's kind of how the journey continued over nine years. You know, I worked a myriad of different jobs from like cleaning toilets in like a Canadian nightclub to working oil rigs in Canada to mines in Australia to an orphanage in Mexico to dive master in Thailand and then cycling unsupported through Africa to being a six-star waiter on an Antarctic cruise ship. So, yeah, it was just really on, on a journey, you know? Yeah, no, that's a cool story. Like, it's like literally like your whole life is just like culture shock everywhere up to now. Like, how like how, how was that? What were the lessons that you learned through your travels, through all the different jobs? And um, what is like one lesson that you would that you would pick that kind of dragged all the way through to who you are now? I mean, like, I'd say it's probably like no matter like having lived on all the seven continents, um, it's just like there's always good people everywhere. You know, I think we have a lot of stereotypes in that about certain countries and all the rest. For example, like um, coming to America, you know, I very much had a stereotype having grown up in New Zealand um, of America, you know, because I, I, I don't think re reality TV doesn't really show the reality of America, you know, um, and, and growing up. Um, the I definitely had a stereotype of America, and I first arrived that um, rich family I told you about in Spain. They actually sent me to Columbus, Ohio, because they had a company there, and they wanted me to kind of start running that. So I didn't want to come to America. Um, I didn't want to go to Columbus, Ohio, but it was a great opportunity for me. And when I went there, you know, all those pre-held beliefs that I had, you know, um, were just shattered. And, like, everyone's just such nice people and so down-to-earth. Um so yeah, that's what one of the lists I take away is it's like no matter where you are in the world, there's there's good people everywhere. No matter whether I'm just like cycling through middle of Africa and just pulling off into like a little village, just ask them if I could like you know set my tent up and sleep the night in their village. You know, there's just nice people everywhere, right? No, it's it's just crazy listening to all that because that th those are the things I I don't believe I've read yet uh, regarding your adventures. Uh, regarding the, the family in Korea, and it's funny, like our past client or past client, past guest, um, she from Africa, South Africa, she moved to Seoul, Korea too, as well to teach English. Uh, so it's crazy the connection there. And how was that with your, like the private, like your maid and the private jet? Did, were you able like to travel using their jet, or was it just like it, you know you had the option too? No, so one one moment is coming towards the end of my kind of like I was there like five or six months, and I remember the dad came and I just teach the son in like the, in the guest house or guest house inverted commas, you know, it was like two stories, like views over the ocean. Um, so he comes in. Oh well, no, actually he he called us into his office, and he's an imposing kind of guy. He was like <laughs> big German man, like you know, <laughs> smoked his like cigars and all the rest, and had country mm -hmm, music yeah. playing through the speakers in the house. And he, he was a very very good man, but very intimidating as well. I remember walking into his office, I called in there. He said, "All right, Hap, I've just fired all the crew on my yacht, um, so <laughs> you and Mark are going to be flying into France with me and going to help us crew it back." So you know, so literally like. The next week on the private jet flew into the south of France where the yacht was. The captain was still there. Um, and we just um, helped kind of like crew it all the way back to Spain. I like, stopped off in like Ibiza for a night. And like, yeah, it's just a whole new world, eh? 
man, you're probably like, okay, <laughs> like, I think I'll be okay. <laughs> you just go in the flow pretty much. <laughs> yeah, I remember the first day I turned up there, because I never, like, in New Zealand, we drive on the opposite side of the road, you know? Um, yeah. I remember, like, turning up there on my kind of first day of work, and I said, oh, you can just take the old car, Hap, and take Mark into town. So, I was like, opening up this, like, it was, like, three or four, probably, like, a four-car garage. There's, like, a Jaguar there, like, two Mercedes <laughs> and stuff. He goes, oh, just take the old Mercedes, you know? I've never driven on the other side of the road. You know, I'm just like, okay, all right. Like, yeah. How, how was that, though? Funny. Were you freaking out on the road or, like, everything's, like, on the opposite side? And you're like, oh, no. <laughs> yeah. You know, you, you have those, like, rumble strips on the side of the road? Yeah. Yeah. You know, I was, like, yeah. spent the whole the whole ride in there's like a 40 minute drive into town just like the rumbling constantly on that side cars are so big as well you know i wasn't mm-hmm. used to driving a mercedes i drove like a toyota starlet when i learned to drive in new zealand which is <laughs> kind of like a toyota prius kind of thing but smaller yeah <laughs> yeah well the good thing is hopefully you didn't freak out the sun though the sun was like okay like i feel like this guy's okay <laughs> yeah yeah no <nah. laughs> and with with all that, it seems like uh, things has kind of led itself to one another. Like, was there like a challenge you faced during those times that you're like, "Wow, I, um, I didn't expect to get face this challenge." Yeah, for sure. Like at the start of it, so I started when I was 21. You know, in the first kind of like four years, like kind of what we've covered already. You know, from like Korea to Spain to America, Brazil was in between that, just for six weeks of backpacking, but. It all just happened organically, you know. I was just like early twenties, just just traveling the world, having fun, you know. I had this overarching goal to it, but I wasn't that serious at that time of that, you know. I just wanted to kind of earn some money in one place and then go to the next. And so, for example, when I finished in Columbus, Ohio, I ended up getting like um, meningitis and being put in like isolation ward in the hospital. And there, I had kind of an epiphany of like, I don't really want. It's an amazing opportunity. So I was going to work the Columbus, Ohio job. The father's going to send me to Germany to learn the German side of the business so I could come back and take over the running of the Columbus one. But I remember being in the isolation ward. They weren't too sure if I had viral meningitis or bacterial meningitis. Bacterial is the one that you die from. So I remember just having this like a 12-hour period. They said, you got meningitis. We're unsure what it, which one it is and being in isolation ward there and just saying like, man, I don't really want to be living. I love Columbus, Ohio, the people and all that, but and I was like 22, 23 at the time. I'm like, I don't want to be like locked into signing because I got to get my green card for me and signing like a two-year contract to be there. And so it was that moment there. I said, man, I'm just going to keep traveling. So I declined the offer. But so from there, I ended up traveling through Europe. And then another friend got me a job putting up like big hospitality tents on the U.S. Gulf Open and that. So I traveled around the States for three months just doing that. And then other friends are going up to Canada. So I went up and got a work visa in Canada for a year, you know, where I worked oil rigs and um, and then also did the snowboard season up in Banff there where I just worked as like a, a nightclub toilet attendant. So the guy that hands out like condoms and cologne and toilet paper in the restrooms, like that was me, you know. So that first half of there that I just covered was very much just me just going about and just going where I wanted. But the biggest moment in that nine-year working the world goal was I'd met, um, so I'd had trouble getting my visa in Canada to renew it to keep working on oil rigs. Um, so I had to, I decided to leave the country, go down to Mexico and just go backpacking through Mexico while I was waiting for my tourist visa to come, well, for my work visa to come back through for Canada. 
And it was while I was down in Mexico, um, it was Christmas Eve, small surf town bar, and I bumped into this American girl there um, who is now my wife. It was like 2006, I think it was. And we just hung out for a week, had a great time, and then she came back to here in Denver, Colorado, and I carried on just like backpacking through Mexico waiting for this visa to come through, got the news that my work visa for Canada got denied. So all my stuff's back in Canada. I just got my backpack with me in Mexico, running out of money. I had a surfboard that I'd wrap inside a duvet, um, like a, you know, like a bedding. Um, so I was just like sleeping on the beach, kind of surfing, like, what am I doing now? Ended up going and getting work on the Mexican-Guatemalan border at an orphanage. Um, worked there for a couple of months. I turned up in bare feet because someone had stolen the flip-flops and stuff. So I turned up this orphanage in like bare feet, long hair, this like old like Worked there for a couple of months and stayed in contact with this American girl. Um, and I was like, man, I need to get some money. I was thinking about going and working on the Alaskan fishing boats. And she said, why don't you just come to Denver, Colorado and move into my one-bedroom apartment and get some work here? So I did that. So it was like 2007, flew to Denver, moved into her one-bedroom apartment, having only known her for like six days in Mexico, um, got some work just under the table landscaping. And she's a school teacher here. So I had like a three-month work visa um, here in Colorado. And at the end of that three months, um, she's a school teacher. We went down to Columbia, backpacked around for six weeks. And it was when I was coming back from Columbia to come back into the States, um, we were coming through Atlanta. And at this time I had like shoulder length kind of dreadlocks. Um, and this was the fourth time I was coming into the States on a tourist visa. because so I'd done Columbus, Ohio. I'd done it with like the um, the tenting work that I'd done. And then I'd done it when I came here to live with um, – Mandy, my now wife, in Denver. So it was the fourth time I was coming into the States. We we're coming through Atlanta, Georgia, and we we're doing a transfer, and we we're kind of running late. There's going to be touch and go. Are we going to make our next flight through to Denver? So Mandy went through the American Citizens line. I went through the alien kind of line, and they scanned my passport, and big red flag goes up because they're not stupid. You know, they're like, well, <laughs> this is the fourth time you're coming into the States in like five what years. What are you trying to do? <laughs> Take me out back for questioning so it was about like must have been wow. about early afternoon when they took me out back for questioning and i don't have any um i had no, no cell phone at the time you know so i couldn't contact mandy i just told her like, hey we'll meet at meet your baggage claim when i get through so she's waiting a baggage claim no idea where i'm at fast forward to like i was waiting out there for like eight hours they start talking <sighs> time with you um so Ended up being like 10 o'clock, close to midnight, when they finally got me in for the interview, and they just like did a number on me, basically <sighs> getting you in, where I'm sending you back to Columbia, and I'm like, man, I, even though I just told you before I had all this money, I was lying, I have no money, like don't send me back to Columbia, um, all mm. my stuff in Canada from like two years previous, you know, so I was like, yeah, send me to Canada, and they had, and my girlfriend she didn't know where the heck i was you know they wouldn't let me go see her or anything you know <laughs> eventually when they're interviewing me their security guard comes and say look we're trying to clear out the airport there's this girl crying what's the was happening to her boyfriend and they just said to her said to the security guard point blank like he's not coming in he's being deported and Ooh. i said to the security guard like look man she's got i had all our credit cards and everything on me i said look just give her the credit cards so she have some money you know 
Um, and then what happened was, um, so she left not knowing what was happening to me, just knew that I was kind of getting kicked out. And then they had no holding cells in Atlanta at the airport. Um, so I had to get like handcuffed to another guy, like five of us being kicked out that night. So I got taken down the paddy wagon to like downtown um, Atlanta and put into the prison, prison system, like mugshot and all the rest, um, and had to stay the night in the cells there, which I always remember it for the rest of my life. I remember just like having my like blanket and like going into like the cell area. So you got like a kind of control desk and in front of the control desk there's like two stories of cells in front of it you know big metal doors and the guys like you guys are all sharing with people we're full tonight so i remember like you come up to like the little um the desk there and you're like cameron cell 210 i remember just like walking up like the metal stairs and like walking along the kind of the middle gangway and like standing in front of the cell 210 and just hearing him click the door and like pushing it open knowing there's gonna be someone else in the cell and it's like guy gets out of this other bunk bed you know because i'm waking him up at like 2 a.m in the morning you he, he starts walking towards me and i'm just like what's gonna happen you know and he just said uh hey i'm philip like welcome man he goes what are you in here for i said oh, i'm working illegally are you drug charges <laughs> cool he goes oh man you get the top bunk likes to be on at 5 a.m but i remember in the morning waking up as well like going down like in this big concrete courtyard like big high concrete walls and those massive dudes just in like orange coveralls like with the land of city prison on the back and just like anyway got Man. got um transported back to got a police escort back to the plane in the morning they gave my passport and that to the air hostess and they allowed me to go back to canada luckily and i remember okay. the cops are driving me out okay. into the tarmac to put me on the plane they're like man canada there's no way they're gonna let you in they're gonna you're gonna be back here you know so Long story short, I made it into Canada, rang my girlfriend. He still didn't know where the heck I was. And, hey, babe, um, I'm in Vancouver, Canada. Um, got a 10-year ban from your country. Um, not too sure. I've only known you three months. Not too sure what we're going to do. So that was a big moment. You talk about a big moment in the working the world goal. Yeah. From there, because um, I'd lived in Canada previously, got some work to earn some money to get a plane ticket back to New Zealand. Couldn't even transit through the US. I had to go all the way through, I think it was like, can't remember where I went through some real long convoluted way to get back to New Zealand. And that's when I was back in New Zealand. So I was like 25, 26 at that time. And I remember just like sleeping on my friends, my best friends who I spent two years traveling with um, during the start of this goal and just lying, sleeping on his like um, living room floor. And he had other friends that had gone to like university with, they're like lawyers and accountants. And here's me with my long dreadlocks, just like lying on the floor. Like, what are you, what are you up to? And I'm just, traveling so i was really lost at that time you know i had a girlfriend here in like denver colorado i had a 10-year ban from her country and i was really lost you know and everyone else seemed to have it together um so then i went back to my hometown of nelson new zealand and as well as back there uh, my sister came and visited me so my mum, dad and my sister we went and visited like stayed at our family friend's batch so batch is kind of like a holiday house but kind of rustic so back country in New Zealand. And while we were there, um, it was a Sunday afternoon before we left, had a great kind of weekend with everyone catching up. And my friend had made this gnarly rope swing. Um, so it's like back country New Zealand. And I mean, it would have been like, uh, so it was a really steep incline. So when you take off on the rope, you gain height really quick. I had the apex of it, you're probably like 50 feet above the ground. Long story short, last swing of the day as my sister on it i was pushing her off from the landing place which is like very kind of loose kind of like soil area she came back 
and she lost momentum. Um, so she started to swing back out again. And I was watching, there's no logic behind it, but I decided that I don't want to see my sister swing out over this big, like, um, height. So I jump onto the rope as well to swing with her. And the rope had really big knots on it. And as I was swinging back out, I slipped. And I, all I could grab onto was her leg. So all of a sudden, we're swinging out. And at pretty like a 30-foot drop, she couldn't hold on anymore. And we like fell through the bush canopy. And as I was falling down, I hit like a branch, flipped me around. And like, then I impacted on the, on the ground like from the base of my neck. And it's like camera flash just goes off in my eyes, like kind of, it's like white. And then we like tumble head over heels through the, through the bush and come to and all the, the parents come running down. Like, wow, what's happened? I lost my vision and everything. And I still Jeez. remember, I remember just like screaming, like, I got my eyes open. I can't see, I can't see. And as remember it as that, as at that moment, um, Cindy, the family friend, was behind me, just like comforting me. So it's going to be okay. Happy, it's going to be okay. Rescue helicopters on the way. And it was there. I was like, man, if I kind of get through this and not going to be in a wheelchair and get my vision back, then I'm going to like keep doing what I'm doing and keep keep traveling and finish this goal. Long story short, rescue helicopter. My vision kind of comes back. Rescue helicopter takes us to hospital, like four or five days in hospital. And I just luckily was very lucky. Just had like a um, fractured kind of compressed vertebra. Um, yeah. So all of a sudden, I'm back in my hometown. You know, just kind of like bedridden, and um, a girlfriend in Denver. You know, and then from there on, I was like, all right, I'm going to get myself rehab, get better. And then I'll meet up with Mandy um, somewhere in the world and continue the mission on this goal. So that was a really big turning point in the goal itself. Yeah. Man. Oh, that's crazy. That, that's a movie. It's, it's like a whole I, movie. I just, like yeah, I was, yeah. I just sat there. I was going to say it. <laughs> sat through a movie. I was like, wow, I can envision all this to happening and everything that's mm -hmm. going on. I, we can't. Yeah. I, I don't even know. Put, put any of this to words. Like, we know you went to every job and did every job in seven continents but not that part where you're end up not end up you're like midway through you're in the orange jumpsuit going onto the plane like it's those things yeah because i think yeah. it always sounds you know because i wrote a ended up getting a publishing contract um to write a book about the journey because when i was laid up in bed in mm -hmm. new zealand recovering from the accident I decided like blogs were just becoming a thing back then. So I decided yeah. to start a travel blog up. And um, that's how I eventually, four years later, got the um, book contract as um, an editor saw the um, saw my blog and followed it, you know. So it's, it's funny, the twists and turns, you know, the decisions you make in life, you know, like it's where you mm -hmm. where you end up. You know, I look, look back and think about so many times that, you know, um, I could be somewhere completely different, you know? And, yeah, and no, that's, thing, that's really like, interesting. I was always very careful not to try and glorify everything because it sounds very glamorous, you know? Like, oh, you travel the world for nine years, but, yeah. you know, some extremely shitty yeah. time, really yeah. tough, and, you know, mental yeah, health. That's true. All the rest that, you know, it was just, you know, it wasn't all just flowers and rainbows, you know? There's some kind of dark, tough yeah. time there as well. And, and I always no, say... it's really true. We appreciate you telling that story too because I feel yeah. like... A lot of people don't hear it, especially nowadays. There's that trend that everybody wants to travel the world and do certain stuff, but they don't hear like the like the scary side of things of like what can happen, what could happen. Like when you're traveling the world, you can run into this, you can fall, you can get hurt, get stuck in a country that you're like, 
I sorry can't can't come back right now. Yeah, get there's kicked a lot out. of things <laughs> like, get kicked out. Yeah. Yeah. It's, mm-hmm. And it's like you mentioned, half like everybody is kind of, you know, they stick to like the the shiny glorified part where like oh traveling the world, mm-hmm. do all this and the story of where it came to be. But like I love that you brought in the other parts that it wasn't just that there was like different areas of it that helped you get going and whatnot and uh like what do you ever think like you would have had like a of course like there was like that ice cream cone part and i know that transition in there but do you think you just if that weren't to happen would you think you would have been here with a food truck leading up to the the shop at edgewater man um man there's so much to that um yeah sorry that was deep who knows like little bit there like i remember it was like the last year of my working the world goal so i just been to antarctica which was a massive journey i'm trying to get there um but my final continent was africa um and because i had done a lot of work like working on cruise ships and mines and oil rigs i wanted to kind of give back to the the planet and the earth and all the people that helped me on my journey so um i ended up raising like ten thousand dollars when i was living in melbourne australia at the time to send a shipping container of old bikes to africa um so my um american girlfriend uh, mandy and i we um raised this money sent a shipping container to namibia africa and decided we're going to cycle unsupported through africa and meet this container but i was going through a really dark patch at that time you know i was 29 and for my whole life my 20s i've been half working the world you know and there's a name on my blog and when i turned 30 you know that light that guiding light was going to go out and i don't know who i was going to be you know um, when I turned 30. So it was during that time in Africa, we were cycling through there. I was, what I know now is I was, I was highly depressed at the time, you know, even though, as I was talking about before, you know, you read my blog post, you think I'm always great. Oh, it's a massive adventure, like cycling through Africa and amazing, you know, face to face with elephants, yeah. must be amazing. But I was just so lost and like so depressed. I ended up breaking up with my now wife um, in Africa. And we're making a documentary at the time as well called Bikes for Africa, which is online for free. Um, But I broke out with Mandy in the middle of Africa. She came back here to Denver, Colorado. I continued on just cycling through Africa. And as my birthday was going to be 11th of November, 2011, so 11, 11, 11. And I decided to climb Mount Kilimanjaro, which is the highest point in Africa, to be the icing on the cake of my working the world goal. So I remember being on top of Mount Kilimanjaro having hiked up there for like four or five days and the sun was rising. And what, what should have been a moment of like elation was just, I felt so hollow and lost and everything. Um, I completed this inverted commas, amazing goal, but I was so lost. And then I ended up coming back to New Zealand. So I'd broken up with the girl that I loved. I was still banned from her country. Um, and then I went back to New Zealand, moved as a 30 year old with like nothing to my name, just a bag full of clothes. Um, and my bike that I cycled through Africa on, that was it. That's all I had to show for my 30 years of life and moved into my parents' spare bedroom and started writing my book and fell into a really heavy depression, um, kind of depression, saw counselors and all the rest. So it's kind of funny we talked before, you know, I had interviews back in New Zealand. It looked so amazing what I achieved, you know, but really I was just so lost. And eventually I was going through the editing of the documentary and I had to reach back out to Mandy, um, who is now back in Denver, Colorado, to get her permission to use it long story short a year after we'd broken up in africa um mandy and i ended up getting married went through a two-year battle to get my green card 
And as before I came over to live with her in Denver, um, I was just leaving my hometown, went, went to say goodbye to family friends and whose berry orchard that I'd worked on back in the day. And when I was out there saying goodbye to them, my dad said, oh, hat, come into the garage and or garage and check out Dennis's new machine. I walked in his garage there and on his like workbench was this berry ice cream blending machine, what we call real fruit ice creams in New Zealand. So he said, oh, man, all the Americans that come over here, they love this kind of ice cream. I think it'd be a really big hit in America. So that was the light bulb moment that started Happy Cone. So I'm flying over to um, to here and live with Mandy in Denver. In the back of my mind was this like bringing real fruit ice cream to America. Um, so when I arrived here, I was like 32. I started working at Snooze, the breakfast restaurant there, the original location. So I was just like hosting and bussing tables there and just constantly thinking about this real fruit ice cream, bringing it um, to the States. And I did a business course, wrote a business plan. And because I was a newly arrived immigrant, I had no no credit history or anything. So managed to, and I had no assets because, you know, I spent 30 years just traveling around. So I eventually, the only asset we had was like a $1,200 Honda Accord, which is pink. And that was the only collateral <laughs> we put down um, with, a, with a non-profit lender to get the $40,000 loan to, to buy this ice cream short bus off Craigslist to start Happy Cones. So yeah, that, that's how Happy Cones kind of came about. Nice. And would you still go and do Happy Cones again as a food truck or you guys still do that? Yeah. So the truck is still still running to this day. The same little nice. um, blue school bus is parked at our shop in Edgewater. Um, so that's mm -hmm. still running. We just had our first events last week um, with that. Nice. So, yeah, we're looking forward to another good season for that, like catering. We're getting lots of catering requests at the moment. I think everyone's been cooped up with COVID and everything. So lots of graduation parties, lots of like end of school celebrations and all that. Mm -hmm. um, obviously, the big public events aren't going to be happening this year, but definitely lots of the kind of smaller gatherings. Oh, that'd be awesome. You kind of spoke a little bit about that importance of the mental health in this too. I think you know that's awesome that you had that experience, but also it's a good reminder. So, what, what what advice would you give people like if you, especially when you feel hollow in the workplace or like they're doing something in the middle of your life, you feel like so hollow, like. What like how how did you overcome that? Did you just keep pushing or no, it's like so I said before, like, you know, I think it's like the darkest moments where you learn the most about yourself. Um, and obviously it was a horrible time and I wouldn't want to do it again, but I also appreciate yeah. what I went through and then endured Absolutely. through that to make me more just aware these days. And I use a lot of skills that I learned through that time, seeing counselors and all the rest. But my father was a very big help my family is very supportive with me um through that time my father had had depression as well um so they were a big help to me um getting through that but i think it's just important if you are feeling like that just to to share with someone who you really trust um and they can help you get the help you need to kind of get through it well, that's good that's really good advice especially people like us, we're entrepreneurs. A lot of people are like, oh, I want to be an entrepreneur. Like I want to travel the world, but they don't see the, kind of like the, the days where it's so hard for us to be like, okay, like crap, like what am I doing? Like there's the, they don't see the, the, the struggles. And oftentimes yeah. it leads to the worst case depression. And um, yeah, I think that's awesome. 
try to get something. Yeah, it's like that iceberg, right? You see what's above, and you don't see what mm. everything else is. Um, what happened? Yeah. Everything else. Of course, we we don't really want to give all the details all the time, but it's like it happens. And some days, everybody has a rough day. It's just what it is, or just like certain highest point for somebody, they they can still feel a sense of you know, like you you mentioned hap- like hollow because everything is moving or. It, 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 you accomplish this, but you don't have this, or you don't have like I guess whatever is coming next, or what that feel. And no, that's that that's just amazing, just hearing it out. And thank you for just sharing with us, and you know, being brutally honest enough how that is. And because I, I we we definitely think mental health is a huge thing. Like we want to talk about it more uh, mm-hmm. because it, it's there. We some may realize it, some may may not. Or yeah. Yeah, I connected it with it because I, a lot of days what I, for me, I'm a marketing consultant right now. It's doing pretty good, but at the same time, there are days when I'm climbing in the mountains or I'm in the climbing gym by myself. And like you mentioned, there are days I just feel super hollow. I'm like, huh, like there's something missing. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's just that that journey, you know, between up and down. Mm -hmm. You guys being entrepreneurs, you get it as well. You know, I mean, I first year of like i started up the ice cream truck you know and you have these big dreams and all the rest and i remember it was a tough first year you know like i remember we didn't make any money we lost money the first year and i remember sitting down with my friend who's like a finance kind of guy who's just helping me out and he did the numbers and i I remember his words the rest of my life he goes which was true as well he goes hat at the moment, you don't have a business. You have a very expensive hobby, you know. And just like, <laughs> I remember thinking, like, you know, I just got a forty-two thousand dollar loan to get the start, which for me, we had nothing. Was like a massive amount of money, you know. I'm just like, man. Yeah. Um, and then I remember that was 2015, and I remember just thinking, I went back, and I'd always worked through um, through winters, just serving and that with Snooze, who are a great support of mine. And I remember starting 2016. We just had our first child as well. And I was like, man. I'm going to give this everything I have to see if I can make it work, you know, but I remember that feeling of just going into 2016, just that anxiety of feeling like, man, there's a lot riding on this, you know, like, um, and as you said, you don't see that other side of entrepreneurship. Sometimes you just see the kind of like, you know, the success of it, you know, without really knowing the the hardships that people go through to get to where they are. Yeah. And a lot of people fall off the bandwagon when, when they actually decide to dive in and, you know, a lot of people don't see that you have to have so much grit being that entrepreneurial side. And like you said, it is a is an expensive hobby. Like you jump <laughs> in with, 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 with like nothing. You're you probably have like a couple thousand in your bank, but you know you have to spend that all the way back into business and you have a little bit to spend for yourself. And every time it's like a little treat. You're like, oh, it's a little treat to myself, but Oh man, back to the grind tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, and for small businesses uh, like that are going to do something similar, or just entrepreneurs, and it's like, what, what would your advice to them um, for them to kind of keep going? I think it's like um, having a little bit of a community around you. Like the food truck scene in Denver is awesome. Like everyone's amazing. Everyone wants to help each other out and stuff, you know. And I think it's surrounding yourself by like-minded people that are going through the same struggles as you. So you're not on your own little island, you know? Um, and they had that one contact or that one bit of advice, which is, oh, okay, I'll do this. You know, and it just changes um, everything. No, that that's awesome. 
Now, speaking of like a, a small businesses, a lot of people don't realize what a typical day for a small business looks like for you have, especially you own happy cones and what what does a typical day look like for you? Yeah, for me, it's kind of changed. So now we um, started with the truck. We opened our first shop in 2019 um, in the Edgewater public market beside Sloan's Lake. So we have that shop opened. And then like four weeks ago, we opened our second location um, nice. out in Golden at the new Golden Mill food hall out there. So oh, my awesome. day has changed a lot from like, you know, three years ago when it's just me on the truck all the time. <laughs> two locations of the truck. So I've got awesome kind of managers on board and I couldn't do this without, you know, uh, my team, I've got a lot of people being with me for a while and uh, a lot of great supporters and all the rest. So now my days are like, um, just putting out fires like oh man we need more freezer space and we're buying freezers or like all right the truck broke down the machine broke down fixing that and um you know figuring out new payroll and bookkeeping so more of the administrative side of things at the moment although you know i'm working kind of 20 30 hours this week out in golden i'm going there tonight after this um podcast have finished up so my day these days is a lot more admin and just kind of jumping where i need to be and help support my um, crew so they can do what they need to be able to do no well congratulations we didn't know the golden one uh we're i'm by that one too as well so we'll make sure to visit because i'm usually at edgewater so that's the one we go to uh what do you think it's going to be oh sorry peter what do you think it's going to be so well i'll visit golden sometime okay (laughs) there we go i just throw that in (laughs) oh when do you think it's going to be open again hap um so both edgewater and golden are both open now so okay i always laugh the edgewater store you know it's like i opened it november 16th 2019 we're open four months and then got shut down with covid you know so <laughs> oh, yeah. open ice yeah. cream shop and started winter made it through winter and then four days before spring were shut down with a worldwide pandemic you know so it's uh yeah. it's definitely been a interesting first year or first year or two having a brick and mortar but we opened gold and we just had an opportunity um to go to gold and i love those two communities edward and gold are just mm. just amazing communities to be a part of so i couldn't turn that down and um the golden mill just opened up like four weeks ago it's um, amazing views over south table mountain opposite the cause brewery right on the creek there so it's um i was like all right let's um Let's do this. And then obviously having the team there allowed us to do that, which is great. That's oh, awesome. And from my last visit in Edgewater, like the, the two guys behind, the two gents behind the counter were awesome. Great vibe. Like you walk in there, it wasn't like, hey, what do you guys want? Because we didn't know. It, like it's my first time. It was like New Zealand ice cream. My wife and I and a bunch of our friends were like, let's just try it. We're here. We got it and it was awesome. And the experience from them just walking us through like what it really is. Because we're like, okay, we... Of course, you know, real fruits and ice cream. Um, every other place is trying to market. Yeah, we have real fruits in our ice cream, but like maybe like 5%, not the whole thing. So, and how would now another place opening, like how is how are you dealing with like making sure each one still holds your values of and how you, uh, and I guess supporting you leave happier after you come to Happy Cone? Um getting the right people in there that hold the same values um, as what Happy Cones does. Um, so when I got the ice cream bus in 2015, I had the words like everyone leaves happier written on the back wall of it. And that's like the guiding mantra. Like, 
four happy cones. It's the only thing I, as the owner, like care about, you know. Um, so I put a very high standard on kind of customer service and people that can make that happen. So it's just about um, getting the right people in there, starts with getting the right managers in and that hold the same values and then get the right kind of like people in. Because um, obviously, you know, you've probably worked customer service jobs or dealing with the public, you know, it's, it's um, I don't know, it's, it's not easy, you know, like you get those troublesome customers who are just annoying if you're dealing with the same people all day, you know, it's not being able to be brought down, but be able to still be able to give that kind of the great service and being asked the same questions over and over and over, you know, it takes a special kind of person um, that thrives in that environment. And that's what I am. I'm more of an extroverted kind of person. So that's when I fell into that depression. I was trying to write my book at the time. So it's just me in front of my laptop every day, just getting up and doing that where I found out through that, that I need people to give me energy you know, so when I'm there serving people, it's kind of like a meditation for me. I'm like completely present and serving. So it's about finding people that have that same kind of like love of being around people. Oh, no, I, I feel you there. I, de I definitely feel you there. I This whole pandemic has drove me nuts. I, I think Trent hears it a lot. I'll, every once in a while, like this pandemic is driving me nuts. I <laughs> yeah. can't stand in this computer because I'm a, I'm a person like you, I, I like to have people around to have that energy. If there's not anybody around, I'm in my room the, cooped up the whole time. It just drives me nuts. At, at night, I probably worked out twice a day already. And I'll tell, I'll walk up to my sister who's, or my parents, I thought, I'm going to go climb. They're like, it's 9 p.m. at night. I'm going to go climb the climbing gym. You're not yeah. going to stop me. It's, I'm going nuts. <laughs> like, I'm going to, I need to get out. <laughs> and it's most of our business too. Like we meet clients yeah. and then we were doing it mostly virtual and we don't get that hands on. You don't get that feel. We love yeah. being in person um, mm -hmm. to help and get to see in the, get to see the store, get be inside the store. And you, that that's when you get the full sense of how everything works versus just mm -hmm. virtual. You couldn't tell. Um, yeah. But no. <laughs> yeah, no, now I'm glad like we're able to get, get out again. Um, that kind of reminds me like I, I I pretty much made a whole list of places to like travel with me and my friend in the climbing gym. Like after this next year, once everything comes back to in quotes normal, we're going to travel like like crazy. We're going to go to Japan, Vietnam, somewhere in South Asia, maybe New Zealand, Australia. We're going to climb all of it for like a few months just because we, we, we need to get away from from just being stuck in America for, for, for too long. But um, speaking of travel, like, are you still traveling nowadays, Hap? No, like with the, um, obviously being a small business owner, um, kind of cuts that down. I've got two, two little ones. I've got a three-year-old and a five-year-old now. So I've got a dog and, you know, eight chickens, you know, so it's like, oh, wow. <laughs> but I really want to try and get my little ones out and do some travel. Like if I can build happy cones to a point, you know, um, so it allows me a bit more kind of flexibility, um, to try and travel with the kids. And that's what I really want to do. We try and get back to New Zealand every two years, but obviously the pandemic kind of, um, killed that bit. So I'm hoping to be able to at least get back to New Zealand at the end of the year if they open the borders up. So we'll see. Man, yes, yeah. There's a lot that you had to deal with, especially eight. You say eight chickens? Well, actually, I lied. Um, the fox just um killed five of them, so I only got three at the moment. <laughs> I oh, I'm, sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry to hear they're, that. They're like, still that, part wow. of the family. <laughs> they're still part. Yeah, they're still. Yeah, you. Yeah. You originally had that. Okay. <laughs> oh wow. In, in memory, yeah, eight. In chickens. memories, yeah. in memories, there's always going to be eight chicken. Yeah. Uh, and 
for this part, we always we like to do rapid fire questions. It's one of the things like it, it's fun and it gets uh, it gets the question going and it gets for everybody hanging out with us to get to know you too as well a little bit more. Um, so we'll go through some of this and you know sometimes if you want to elaborate on some of those, please please feel free. Um, but keep in mind everybody hanging out with us. Hap does not know these questions, so it's it's always fun. It's always fun. It's on our feet, on our toes kind of thing. So, you want me to start, Peter, or you want to start? Oh, you. Oh, I can start. You can start. Okay. All right. Since we're talking of the owner of Happy Cones, of course, we have to do this first rapid fire question. What's your favorite ice cream at Happy Cones? Oh, this too. <laughs> so this the favorite New Zealand style, which the real fruit is the mixed berry, because it reminds me as when we make in front of you. And that little machine we blend out the sweet cream and the berries together reminds me of going back to the berry orchards in New Zealand eating that. And then the most iconic one we have, which is my favorite, also is the Hokey Pokey, which is New Zealand's most iconic ice cream flavor, which is our vanilla ice cream churned with like our scratch made toffee honeycomb pieces in it. So sorry, yeah, two ice creams there. I broke the rules. No, 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 no that's fine. <laughs> uh, my wife had the mixed berry. That was, and I tried it. I got the strawberry and banana. So I need to try the Hokey Pokey next time. Yeah. Um, favorite movie favorite movie oh man um, Shawshank Redemption I haven't watched it in like probably 15 20 years but like yeah I love Shawshank Redemption yeah that's an amazing video what favorite look to throughout the years like you've had so many looks like hair and short <laughs> hair everything like what's your favorite look that you've had throughout the years that you're for sure like I, I want to go back and do that one day I don't know if I want to go back but like when i had my dreadlocks i used to love having dreadlocks you know um yeah. and i had to shave them off to get to antarctica because i got jobs as a six-star waiter on an antarctic cruise ship um that's another whole story but like yeah if i had to shave them off i never wanted to uh, yeah. so yeah i saw that picture in your um news interview with a new channel uh, I, I saw that picture when you were standing on the edge of the on the railing on the railing of that and then you were clean cut too so like that gave me an idea it was like Man, have went through so many looks. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Uh, favorite place to visit? Um, South America in general. Like, that was my favorite continent I've been to. Antarctica was the most beautiful, I say. That was just phenomenal. Um, but South America, I just love South America. The culture, the people, the beauty, and um, yeah. And if I would choose one country from all my travels, it was Brazil. Um, because I just left that Spanish job I talked about. So I had a full bank account and was traveling with my best friend for six weeks through Brazil. So I was like 23, full bank account. You know, when you're 23, I was just like, no worries in the world at that point. It was just a very memorable time in my life. That's awesome. If you could wear one outfit for the rest of your life, what would that outfit be? Just shorts and t-shirt. I'm pretty basic when it comes to like, you know, <laughs> hey. I always have a it cap works. on, shorts and t-shirt. Unless it's winter, it'll be jeans and a hoodie. Yeah. <laughs> okay, there you go. Favorite you go. quote. Favorite quote. Uh, um, so I have a tattoo on my um, on my back, kind of, kind of like a tramp stamp, actually, embarrassing. <laughs> One of those bad, bad, uh, bad decisions. But um, is, um, is regrets over yesterday and worries about tomorrow are the twin thieves that rob you of the moment. So it's like you're always regretting stuff you've done, you're always worrying about stuff you have to do. And you're like the twin thieves that rob you of being present and being in the moment. Oh, that's awesome. One thing came to mind. Does your staff know you have a tramp stamp? 
Is that? Yeah, even every now and then when I bend over to like grab something, like, what are you there? It's just like, like two little thieves on the boat based on my lower back, you know? So it's, it's not the quintessential in the center. It's like two, two on the outside of my lower back, but it's like, well, double tram stamp. It's like, okay. like man, where have you been? Yeah, yeah. Hey, this is our, this is our boss. I love it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Go ahead. All oh, right. Really, what is one thing on your bucket list that you haven't done yet? Oh, I haven't done. Um, man, I've always wanted to like learn to sail and sail the world, um, but my wife's not so into that. So I think we're just going to try like get a van or something and just throw the kids in it and just take off for an extended period of time. Nice. No, that'd be really cool, actually. With all the experience now, what would you tell yourself when you were eighteen? Oh, wow. Um, like, things just happen for a reason. I always like to say that, like, in your 20s, I believe, is a time to explore who you are and all that and not to put so much pressure on yourself. I especially see that in America. You know, I think there's a big push for um, to go to college and get a job and do all that. There's a lot of pressure on kids um, to do that. And, like, when you're 18, you still know what you want to do. So... I just want to, like, I'd go back and tell myself or other 18-year-olds, like, hey, like, don't put so much pressure on yourself. You know, you're 18, use this time, just go get a job, earn some money, go travel. And if you want to go to college, you know, go to college once you know what you want to do, like if it was mid-20s or late-20s, you know. Um, so that's, that's a big thing I believe in. Nice. Well, what's the best country for ice cream? Oh man, I really love New Zealand. Like the real fruit ice cream is like yeah. yeah. <laughs> I have my like childhood memories of just going to the berry orchards and and getting that, you know. And on all my travels, I've never seen. There's nowhere else that had that particular kind of ice cream. Um, That's awesome. Yeah. Do you read comic books? Are you into comic books at all? Have I'm like the worst person when it comes to like pop culture or movies or like um, okay. books or anything. Like my, my employees are just like, you don't know that movie hat? Like, <laughs> like I don't have a TV or anything, you know? So I'm like, I'm so bad. Like my, my employees just stop asking me about like, you know, things that are going on. So no, I don't um, read okay. comic books. Yeah. We, we won't ask you that then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We were going to well, ask well, who's your favorite well, Avenger, but we'll... We'll probably skip that. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll ask you later. We'll, you know, we'll give yeah. out a couple of ideas for movies, and then we'll ask later. Yeah. Your favorite hobby? Um, favorite hobby? Um, I really just like hanging out with like friends and family, really. Um, and then being, I used to really love just like going to the beach, you know, or just going and jumping in a body of water. It's one thing I love Colorado living, like I love Denver, but it's the one thing I miss the most is just being able to jump into like a nice body of water um on those hot days nice like what scares you the most oh man singing i hate singing <laughs> oh i, I <laughs> rarely hate it um like, with the passion like you know i'm happy to get up and talk in front of people like yeah. i'd probably much rather get up and strip naked in front of a crowd than just have to sing in front of a crowd eh? fair enough do you think it's the accent that plays a role in it or or is it, it like is it, is it that you think the accent that plays a role into it that you feel conscious about that or is it just I'm overall just, just the I'm just a terrible singer. <laughs> I remember when I was living in Korea and because they have like the Norton the the um the really big singing culture, 
kind of like how mm-hmm. Japan has karaoke and Korea they have like norai bangs like every um like you know tall building has a nor 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 bang I can't say it I remember playing soccer over there and my soccer mm-hmm. team hired out the, um the big bus to take us to the game and they're all on the way home they have like the TV screen there and the microphone everyone's singing peer pressure everyone on the truck like hey it's your turn to sing you know and i'm just like oh man like no no and they forced me to do it and i remember i can't even remember what song i sang but it was terrible they cut me off halfway through and said ha soccer very good singing very bad like thumbs up, thumbs up. <laughs> oh man but yeah i hate singing <laughs> one pet peeve pet peeve um People who are in customer service and just hate customers, eh? I'm just like, <laughs> dude, like, go work on a computer or something, gay, okay? like, you know? Uh, True, very good one. Now, what's your favorite food? Um, man, as I said, I'm, I'm pretty basic, eh? I love just grilling out, like, you know, a steak and salad on the That's barbecue, awesome. eh? Okay. Yeah, we agree. One we agree meat and a salad, fresh salad, yeah, cooking on the grilling out is what I love. And then for dessert, happy cones, right? Happy cones, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Pokey, yeah. Uh, best restaurant? Best restaurant. Um, I always love like Linger in the Highlands. Or I love just kind oh, of going awesome. to that kind of the, also just the no-name place, you know, let's find like a, a cheap and cheerful like Mexican restaurant, which just kind of feels authentic. You know, it's not flashy or anything. You go in there and it just has its own kind of character and quirk. You know, it's been there for like, 18 20 years you know um i love that as well awesome so what's your favorite color uh probably blue i think maybe (laughs) (laughs) and last one favorite book favorite book um shantaram i don't know if you heard of it or shantaram shantaram no um quick synopsis of that it's an australian guy He's a heroin addict. Went to um, went to. It's a true story. He went to um, prison. He escaped prison and then went and lived in the slums of India. And just this crazy story. Um, yeah, he gets hooked up with the mafia over there. And yeah, it's a phenomenal read. Wow! Wow! We we'll definitely have to. We have to link that to in the description uh, <laughs> for our audience to read that too, and for us to actually read that too as well. Um, and man no thank you so much hap and that concludes that rapid fire question but how can people find you other than happy cones but um yeah so happy cones is, is uh, like it's happycones.co.com locations edgewater golden um and then me i have a website cameron.com it hasn't been updated forever you know so it's uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah just um just follow us yeah I'm pretty good on Instagram. Like I keep that updated a lot and I just do, I'm always like the main person. I do all uh, social media, you know, so I'm always awesome. kind of in front of the camera talking about stuff or whatever. So yeah, follow us on Instagram, happy cones co. Okay. And yeah, I just followed you too as well. Uh, it was long overdue on happy yeah. cones. <laughs> yeah. And... I need to do that still. <laughs> <laughs> no, just that minute. We're just, being honest <laughs> yeah and, w- and with the he- with the instagram you know i, I try and just kind of like how i wrote the book into the documentaries you know like i um like it's not just like photos of ice cream all the time it's very much i like to kind of just show like you know i do a little instagram story the other day when i'm like you know 
early morning just trying to fix the machine on the truck you know so just trying to give a little bit of a glimpse of like the kind of the stuff behind the scenes of it all you know kind of that small business owner stuff oh, yeah, that, which awesome. is awesome a lot of people don't do that yeah that's yeah coming from a communication standpoint you want to see that because it's authentic and that's that's you uh you're putting in the work not just the glamorous part so yeah no living up to your values that's awesome and while everybody hanging out with us thank you so much make sure to have to happy make sure to go and visit happyconesco.com visit it on instagram on the site edgewater and golden uh on the ride there listen to hangout talks we have a instagram too as well as at hangout talks and please leave us a feedback you know we love to hear your thoughts and any questions about half the story like let us know and if you want to reach out to us personally too mine is mr good underscore all on instagram and mine's peter underscore the stupid marketer and we're both on instagram i just said instagram on mine but we're both on there so yeah, we're both and- on, on there. <laughs> thank you so much thank you so much it's it's awesome to hear the story it's like we just kind of live hang out or hung out in a real movie and kind of see this whole thing how it came to be to now yeah so we hope everybody leaves a little bit happier after listening to this podcast and yeah so if you and if you're happier get even happier go get an ice cream cone from hap and from happy cones and hey leave even happier yeah there you go. There you go. I think I used happier a little bit too much, but it works. <laughs> I know. I started saying Hap's name. I was like Hap, B, and then it was like, But hey, I, I get it. Your name's in everything, Hap. <laughs> All right. And cheers, cheers for having me too, guys. I appreciate it. Yeah, of course. Thank you so much, Hap. And then, yeah, hopefully we can visit you soon. And we'll stop by the store in Golden. I know I climb around there, so I'll, I'll visit you. Or run into you one of these days. Really